0: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Nine volumes available in paperback, ebook, and in Kindle, also, if you're into that scene, man, at Amazon. And if you're an audio buff, audiophile buff, You can get Volumes 1 through 8 in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please go out and partake of what I have created. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Pretty good. It's getting a little better day by day after losing Paula, but... uh, It's a tough nut to crack, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to be a long journey, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah. But thank you again for the support of our listeners and the many people that sent out their heartfelt condolences and those that I speak to on a regular basis. Uh, It's much appreciated, all of your support, your care, and your obvious love Uh, for me and uh, the loss that I have suffered. So I really appreciate that. It's
1: kind of crazy, Kev, you know? Yeah, I know the number of emails that have come in and the detail in the email is fantastic. It's uh, it's great. So uh, thank you, everyone, on behalf of my brother, too. So yeah. good stuff. Yep, yep. All so what right. Are, yeah. What
0: are we doing today in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Today... We
1: are going to go where no man has gone before. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that was pretty good. (laughs) But seriously, we are going to go to the far reaches of space. And uh, we're going to talk about some of these images that came in about a month ago from the the James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, I love I this. Mean, this stuff, folks. I know you've probably seen it. If you haven't seen the images, we're going to talk about a handful of the key images that first came in. Uh, and if you haven't seen them yet, <coughs> excuse me. Of course, I'll put them up on our website uh, under episode one hundred and sixty-two of Woods dot com. But uh, check them out, because some of them look completely fake, Bill. They look like a a poster that a kid would have hanging on their wall, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, And in fact, the first image that I'm going to talk about, uh, which is one of the first ones I came across, when I saw it come in, I thought it was like an artist's rendering of, you know, what was seen. I didn't realize it was actually, you know, the... The uh, image that was put together by the, by the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know,
0: I was having a conversation with my buddy Philip down in Kentucky last night. Uh, Philip, as I told you, Kev, was a coroner, uh, uh, mortician, body and bomber, excellent knowledge of the human uh, body, anatomy, physiology. I had a thought last night, Kev, as I was reviewing some of these and looking at the depth of what's out there in space. And I said to Philip, you know, Philip, this reminds me a lot of the internal human body. I thought there was a relationship between the creator making space and the creator designing the body. Because if you look at these photographs... The If you consider the blackness or the dark matter of space and then everything that's inserted into it, it reminded me very much of the body on a cellular level. And I, I, it just came into my mind. I don't know why it is so densely packed with stars and galaxies and, and just endless, endless resources that it blows your mind.
1: Yeah, no, the the, the images um, of where you're looking at multiple galaxies in a single image uh, next to one another, um, it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. There's one we're going to talk about called Stephen's Quintet. Yes. Um, where it's five galaxies in a single image. Um, it's phenomenal. But the first one I want to talk about is the one folks... What Oh, by the way, I have to give credit here. A lot of what I'm going to talk about and the images that I'm going to share uh, come from an article that was written by the Jet Propulsion Labs out in California. Of course, the experts at uh, at space and uh, (laughs) space travel. So the first one is this image where and this is the one that I thought was fake when I first saw it come across. Um, It looks like... uh, kind of brownish tan mountains like a craggy mountainscape yeah. maybe in like Arizona or something like that yeah. and then this this uh light blue going to dark blue going to black sky uh above the mountains with these absolutely brilliant stars <laughs> and planets and galaxies <laughs> you know in these uh six pointed uh, or eight pointed, um, um, you know, bursts of light coming off of these stars, planets, and galaxies. So picture like the sky, the starlit sky coming up over a mountainscape. I mean, it's unbelievable, yeah. right? I mean, it looks yeah. looks science right out of sci-fi, and and what we're looking at is apparently the edge of uh, a star. That's forming. Uh, that appears as a nebula, which is basically, yeah. you know, a cloud uh, of interstellar medium. You know, yeah,
0: it's incredible. Is That I believe that's the Carina Nebula. That Carina NGC, Nebula, exactly. They they label it NGC thirty three twenty four. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, they're filming a, a place where if you will, the galactic womb where stars are given birth to. It's freaking incredible. Yeah. Uh, I know, you know, as I was reading through some of this, they call this process concretion, which is this gathering together of all of the components uh, to formulate what will become a star But if the conditions aren't perfect, the whole thing can just go awry and it won't happen. But if conditions are correct with the gases and uh, the particulate matter and whatnot, the star starts to form in this uh, galactic womb and eventually it becomes a new star or, or this nebula gives birth to a star. It is just utterly fantastic.
1: Exactly, exactly. Wow. And then, and then, so, so that image, you got to see it, folks. It's fantastic if you haven't seen it. And then the, the next image that I'm going to talk about is the uh, star pairing that you can see in what's called uh, the Southern Ring Nebula. So, yeah. another nebula. Um, and, you know, it's you see this reddish orangish cloud. Uh, almost like a jellyfish, like it looks a bit like a jellyfish if you were swimming in the ocean and you saw an orange kind of jellyfish. And at the center of the the jellyfish, so to speak, the cloud, is a bright white star and next to it a distinct red star. Yeah. Very close together. Yep, yep. Yeah, and they say that uh, that pairing, they believe that it exists prior to having the images from the James Webb Space Telescope, but now they can prove it because they can actually see it.
0: Yeah, and you know, Kev, if you think like our sun, the star that gives us life, our sun is relatively small as stars go. But if you look at this image of these two stars forming uh, side by side to each other, can you imagine the overall size of that uh, nebula, the Southern Ring nebula that is containing them? It, it, it is so vast. And what are they talking about? Some of these things are like 7,500 light years away from us. Yeah, exactly. And they're filming them. It just blows my mind. And if you look in the background of that, you could just see a little bit of more stuff
1: going through the depths of space behind it. Yeah, you can actually see in the upper left of the image, which is super cool, it looks like a line, like a bright line. Yeah, uh, what is that? Maybe about a half inch long, and I think that's a galaxy that you're looking at from the side. Edge on a galaxy, right? Edge on galaxy, yeah.
0: And, and in that picture, we're looking at, what, uh, Maybe an eighth of an inch, if that. Yeah. Uh, maybe two or three sixteenths, something like that. Uh, and that's a galaxy,
1: like likened <laughs> to maybe ours, the Milky Way on edge. Yeah. Yeah. In one of these know. images, they talk about the fact that it's like putting a tiny gra- grain of sand on the tip of your finger and holding it out as, at an arm's length from your eye. Right and and they're looking with the telescope at that grain of sand and then you're seeing like many 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 galaxies that are actually inside that grain of sand whereas oh that's a tiny speck at an arm's length of the field of view all that right. you could be looking at. So, you know, that vastness, and some folks will be like, why are you talking about this on cryptids in the news and other oddities? Well, you know, we talk about the possibilities that are both out there in uh, space. I just say space generally, because it's not our galaxy. You know, it's much bigger than that. Um, and then what's, what's out there under the ocean That's unexplored and even what's out there in some of the dense forests that are unexplored. And I mean, this really gives you a feel where sometimes, you know, when we get so caught up in, oh, you know, we know everything about what's going on out in space. You know, we've sent probes to Mars, you know, and landed on Mars multiple times. It's like, wait, folks, this is a big place out there. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And
0: how about, Kev, you know, when you talk about holding a grain of sand on the tip of your finger at arm's length, and this is what they're looking at in this picture. Exactly. Now, if you took your peripheral vision and looked all around you and turned your head around, picture how many grains of sand would be around you if you could number them. Trillions. Exactly. And each one of them, in each one of those grains, the trillions, we'd get an image of some sort, maybe like this one we're looking at. Well, here. Yeah, it's not
1: even like that reference, by the way. It's even more powerful than that because yeah. it's not a reference to this image. Right, so, right. So hold that reference until the last image that that I cover because that's, that's what we're talking about. Where this We're going to talk about seeing thousands of galaxies. Yeah, that's incredible, but man. But before we go there, let's go to the next image, which is what I... Touched on a bit, which is the mosaic of Stevens Quintet. Yeah. So, Incredible. Yeah, just amazing. Um, and they say that this image gathered by the James Webb Space Teles- Telescope contains over 150 million pixels of information. Mm. And it was constructed from a thousand separate image files. Wow. So kind of stitched together. Yeah, And this one is just like, you know, I, I want to get a five foot by five foot print of it and hang it somewhere. You know, yeah, I mean, it's just... you could look at it all day. Right.
0: Yeah. And, Kev, you know, and most of the listeners know of my faith. And I'm telling you, man, when I look at stuff like this, when I stand and watch a sunset, the immensity, the grandeur of the creator... Is just magnified exponentially. These things are more fantastic than the greatest artwork ever created by man's hand, and they are without number out there in the heavens. It is incredible the beauty of these images, the coloration. The, I mean, I'm I'm without
1: words. Yeah. It, it well, just, and, and speaking of without words, you were talking about how far away some things are. Yeah. So this this cluster of galaxies called Stephen's uh, Quintet or Stefan's Quintet. Um, this thing is 290 million light years away in the constellation Pegasus, the flying horse, which I know we can see here in North Carolina on a dark Night sky. But can you imagine two hundred and ninety million light years away? Uh, it it's an unfathomable number. It is unfathomable. <laughs> it's just like, like two hundred and ninety even, even in science fiction, it's unfathomable. And here we have this crystal clear image of these five this this cluster of galaxies, and happen to be five in this quintet. Yeah.
0: Uh, it 's just magnificent, and kev you know i 'm looking at this right now. I have my iPhone silenced, and I have the images up and i 'm looking at basically a one and a half inch square uh in front of me while you 're talking right and it 's just utterly fantastic uh, and they 're constantly changing and morphing and
1: moving and uh, yeah. And you and, have these five galaxies that are unique to one another when you're looking at them. Right. You know, like yeah. one is like a blur of white light. One is like, uh, well, two of them are like they appear to be interacting almost like a yin and a yang. Yeah. Of uh, a symbol, uh, yeah. you know, and then another one looks a bit more like the Milky Way in terms of the galaxy, and the other one's like swirling, almost like a uh, hurricane, uh, looking down on a hurricane in space with a bright light at its center. I mean, it's wild stuff. I mean, I got to look now with the telescope out here, you know, especially when winter starts to come and we have those cold, clear nights out at the coast, and start looking up at Pegasus and see if I can see this, because I don't know if you caught it, Bill, in what I sent you, but... This cluster of galaxies was first discovered in 1877. Wow. Like, that's equally amazing yeah. to me. And what kind of lenses and whatnot did
0: they have then? I'm sure they were very good quality, but compared to what we have today. Well,
1: yeah, compared yeah, to this you know, mega billion dollar thing up in space looking at this, right? Yeah.
0: You know, jump back just for a second to that Southern Ring Nebula with the pairing of galaxies, the red and the white. Yeah. You know, when I was talking about... uh, Pairing of stars. Two stars. Pairing of stars, yeah. Yeah. when i was talking about the galaxy reminding me of the internal mechanisms of the human body yeah. here to me it it almost looks like a pair of twins in a room uh, yes. in the womb in the womb yeah i agree with you that that that's that ring southern ring nebula almost looks like a a casing. You remember the other, the last podcast we did when you were talking about that blob under the ocean that people oh, thought yeah, might the, be uh, a kraken egg. A kraken egg. egg. Yes. Does this not remind you of a similar thing to that? Like this. Yeah. Does look like that. This glob, this jellyfish, like you said, encasing these two magnificent stars.
1: Yeah. Super
0: cool. It is bizarre, man. Uh, uh you know when they just kind of flow there's this bright ringed area almost encasing one type of operation going on yeah. and then it just kind of bleeds out from the edges yeah uh it's like a protective
1: uh a surround doesn't it appear that way it does 100 percent. it's a great uh great comparison Yeah, it's unbelievable, man. So then, our last image, and Bill, if you got a fanfare in you, (laughs) 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 fantastic. (laughs) But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, (laughs) this one is the image. uh, It's called a deep field image, and it's the 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 Webb Space Telescopes first. Deep field image. Wow. And it's a galaxy cluster. Okay. Yeah. And what's shown here is thousands, that's right, thousands of galaxies, as well as the faintest objects yet observed uh, through infrared. Mm hmm. So basically they take the they take the telescope and they point it at a target for an extended period of time in order to capture as much image as possible and they come up with this picture folks of thousands of these galaxies hmm. and some of them are on their side some of them are straight on again all different shapes some of them are curved which is very cool so Get, and and by the way, this image is the one I was referencing to holding a single grain of sand at arm's length on the tip of your finger. That mm-hmm. would be what this image is, believe it or not, folks. Compared to the whole vastness of the sky, and yep. when you look at this, the uh, the author here on the Jet Propulsion Lab site says, keen observers will notice what appear as warped or stretched galaxies. And these are a result of gravitation. What's called gravitational lensing, hmm. like a lens. And they say yeah. it's a phenomenon in which the gravity of a galaxy cluster centered in the foreground bends the light as the light comes toward you from the background galaxies, magnifying the distortion of their light. Wow! Just and incredible. you can see this like throughout the image. You see these curved galaxies. So they're behind another galaxy, and as the light heads towards us, it bends bends from the gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I, I cannot believe this image. So this yep. one is called um SMACS0723. So uh that's that's the image. And again, I'll put all this up on our uh, on our website, Pick Terror in the Woods, under podcast one six two under that episode but folks check these out they are just amazing kev i want to interrupt you just for a second uh i'm missing one
0: sheet of paper that i have laying next to me keep talking to the folks just for a minute
1: and i'll be right back okay okay We have our own technical difficulties, folks. (laughs) But, um, so anyway, this image, and then there is another image that accompanies it um, called Galaxy Cluster. Again, 0723. But they have two with one viewed with mid-infrared light uh, and the one that I was talking about. And they are just fantastic. I mean, again... Uh, you know, each one of them, uh, of course, if I had the space for it, I would get a printout of like a 6-foot by 10-foot image of this, and you could sit there and look at it for hours and hours on end. By the way, I'm back, Kev. All right. Uh,
0: you know, just uh, I apologize for that, folks. Sometimes you get a little tripped up, here. You know, a paper sticks to another paper, and that's what happened to you. Uh, Kev, I mean, just when you look at this last image, when you look closely, you and I both know that you could see faint galaxies going back. And I'm sure if they could even get greater magnification, the entire cube or square picture would be white with galaxies, just like looking down at the sand on the beach.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I, um, you know, and you really have to, like I have it up on a big monitor. Again, we we always uh, joke, folks, for you that are new to the podcast, you know, my brother and I are, uh, we live 600 miles apart from one another. We do this podcast over Skype each week, which is an amazing little bit of technology, how this thing comes together each week. But, um, you know, I'm sitting here with three big monitors. Looking at these images because <laughs> I'm the tech tech geek, and that's what I do for a living uh, and my brother's there with pieces of paper, so you know with with two different individuals, definitely bl- brothers, and like I always say, one raised by Bigfoot, one raised by uh, <laughs> something else. I don't know which one's better, and we won't say who's who the Sea hag the sea <laughs> hag. <laughs> But when when you look at this, like I have it on a bigger monitor and I just stare into it, and I encourage everyone to do this, even on a laptop screen or on an iPad, if you stare into like a section of the image, you begin to see more and more detail. It's quite amazing because you don't see it when you first look at it. A bit like your example, Bill, like if you were out on the beach and you're looking down at someone that's six feet tall compared to getting down on your hands and knees and putting your face very close to the sand. Then all of a sudden you see all kinds of additional detail, even in this photograph, Mm -hmm. let alone taking more photographs. Um, it's it's quite amazing, the detail. And I'm sure they are taking those photographs now, Bill. Like, this is literally the first deep-field image. And can you imagine the excitement, you know, um, when this thing came back and they put it together? It must have been like, oh, my God. Like, you know, the culmination of a lifetime of work in this single image. If you're, uh, you know, one of these astrophysicists... Folks. Just mind-blowing. You know, yeah. Kev, with these uh, uh, electro
0: uh, electronic microscopes like we have today that can examine things in great detail, it reminds me of like when you put something that man has created under it. Let's just say a wedding band. And to us, it looks smooth and beautiful and polished. And when they magnify it, Exponentially under one of these microscopes. If I didn't tell you you were looking at the a wedding band or the a segment of a wedding band, you'd think you were looking at like a rusty piece of metal, all jagged and broken up. And when you pull it away from the microscope, it looks polished to us.
1: Oh, yeah. Even without that technology, Bill. I mean, we did uh, in my office, you know, when we were at the height of the pandemic and all locked in and, doing conference calls and stuff, I had my team do a little uh, photography contest. And um, I encourage people to do this too. It's kind of fun, but it gets at what you're talking about, but with much simpler technology. And the rule of the photography contest was to try Well, the, the objective was to stump the, your peers and have them not be able to figure out what you took a picture of. You had to take the picture with your phone So, you know, no special lenses or anything like that. And it had to be a close up picture of something that was natural. Okay. And like I took a picture down here in North Carolina, we have these river birch trees like everybody knows what birch tree is. But in the southeast, we have what are river birches and they're white barked like a birch tree. But the bark is peeling off of them constantly like it's. It's just the roughest surface you ever saw of bark naturally peeling constantly. And I took a close-up of the bark on the river birch, and no one figured out what it was, even with that simple technology. Like, they didn't know it was a tree hmm. they were looking at. So it's kind of, you know, even without a electron scanning microscope, stuff like that. But you're absolutely right, Bill. But there's just so much depth in everything we look at when we get, you know— 10 steps closer to it or whatever the measurement is. Yeah. Um, so super cool. All right, Bill. So that is it, folks. You can tell how excited we are about it. James Webb Space Telescope. It is a large area out there in space. Let's just say that. I don't have the yeah. words to describe it Yeah. Uh, after you see these images. So what do you got for us today, Bill? Is there yeah. a hairy man in space? Well, uh, I'm going to leave that up to
0: you and the listeners as to what happened here, but I have my opinion already well-formed. And as I begin this segment, I thought I'd mention that uh, the guy who gave me this report and myself do not have some type of a Clint Eastwood fetish. Uh, it was purely a coincidence that this story and the prior witness I had to this guy when I was writing the book... Uh, mentioned the name of the actor in their report but I think it's a testimonial of how great an impact that these spaghetti westerns had on many of us (laughs) especially the men and but without any further ado let me introduce you to a fellow named Robert Woods as he begins to tell us of his encounter I guess as I begin, I should tell you how I came to be where I was when I saw the beast in Shenandoah Park. My wife had divorced me sometime earlier, and rather than sitting around and moping about the whole grisly affair, I took up exercising, some weightlifting and bike riding to be more precise, as well as a lot of walking. After about a year or so, I was clocking about five or six miles a day in walking distance alone, and I was quite fast, if I do say so myself. The speed developed out of necessity, since I had a limited time to take my walks due to my work schedule and everything else that was going on in my life at that time. I increased my speed to ensure that the same amount of miles would be attained every time out. And over a period of about three years, I became fitter than I had ever been in my entire life. At least something good had come out of a hideous divorce. My next phase was to begin pushing the limits of what I would do, and I decided that when I could get time off, I'd take little four- or five-day vacations going to areas where I could actually hike and see something. Up until this point in time, the only thing I was seeing was the surrounding homes in my community. My trip to Shenandoah, he went to Shenandoah Park, was actually one of many hiking destinations I had traveled to. It began, as most did, by contacting the park and sending for a brochure. After that, I scoped out the available accommodations, preferring to camp in or near the location of the hike, and then I would plan my trip accordingly. Having gone through my punch list, my plan for Shenandoah was to set up camp at a place called Big Meadows, and from there I would walk the area between Big Meadows and Thornton Gap. I would be walking on a section of the Allegheny Trail where there was a fairly good elevation, up to about 4,000 feet according to the map. The route that I had chosen had many overlooks as well as some interesting things to see along the hike and to me it looked perfect. It was just enough of a challenge for where I was physically at the time. It was late summer. And my hope was that there wouldn't be too many people up there while I was there. In my heart, I always envisioned myself living the life of the guy in High Plains Drifter. Confident, alone, and able to handle whatever came my my way. Well, this was as close to that as I would ever get. I was the high trails drifter, one day at a time. For the first day's hike in Shenandoah, my goal was to make it to a place called Corbin Cabin, after which I would trek back to camp. The scenery on the way to the cabin was breathtaking. To get there, you had to cross a street and a small creek breaking off from the Allegheny Trail. The cabin itself was located near the base of Pinnacle Peak in a place called Nicholson's Hollow. When I had finally arrived at the cabin, I was amazed at how much guts it must have taken for some individual to not only come here but to build this miniature homestead by hand so many years ago. It was a small cabin built on a stone foundation having one main room with a small side addition. There was a fireplace and a porch and each one of the cabin's timbers was hand-hewn. I could only imagine the amount of labor involved in constructing it. The brochure said it had been inhabited by an old mountaineer who must have been even more like the high plains drifter. Having now met the halfway point to my goal, I turned around and started to head back. It had been a great day, and by the time I made it back to the campsite, I was bushed. The next day, I packed up and drove north a short distance to the Thornton Gap entrance station. This time, I was going to hike from the other direction, heading from the north down towards Corbin Cabin and back. In this way, I would be able to cover a fairly nice section of the trail by the way of two day, two day hikes. So once again, I took off for my day's hike. There was a considerable amount of wildlife visible along the route, and I had brought my Nikon 20 by 50 binoculars with me. A bit bulky, but well worth the effort and extra weight. I was encountering many deer off the side of the trail here and there, and for the most part, the birds here were very different from those where I live, which can be expected when one travels to different regions of the states. I was so glad that I came here and I had just passed the area where I had cut off for Corbin cabin the day before, pushing on a little further until I reached a spot called Stony Man, and I sat down for a rest. The vistas from here were incredible, full of rolling hills and woods as far as the eyes could see. The sun was bright, and I felt more alive than I had ever been. I was eating some granola bars and drinking water when I decided to break out the Nikons and have a look around. At one point, I had put them down and was just looking with my eyes when I noticed two black objects in a clearing way off in the distance below. It took me a minute to realize they were both moving. I picked up the binoculars and focused in on the objects in question. I'd have to say that they were about a thousand yards away from me and I watched them for quite a while. With the binoculars, I was able to tell that these objects were actually a large black bear and a cub and they were feasting on what appeared to be the carcass of an animal, perhaps a deer. I hadn't seen the bear take the deer down and I was wondering if the deer had died recently and they sniffed it out for a meal. I must have been watching them for a good 15 or 20 minutes before it happened. Now, I must warn you that the next series of events went down so quickly that it was actually quite difficult to figure out just what happened. Within the binoculars' field of view a large and darkly colored figure came running out into the frame. I don't know how much ground it actually covered, but it looked like perhaps 75 yards in two or three seconds. Not only was this thing charging hard, but it was running upright on two legs. At the same time that I had caught sight of the figure, I saw the larger bear lurch and jump to the side of the carcass as the little one bolted away. This all happened in a matter of seconds. The large creature on two legs closed the gap between itself and the bear quickly and ended the sprint, making head-on contact with the bear, knocking it to the ground. I could see its arms flailing, as it remained apparently atop the bear and it was a short-lived fight. Everything stopped. There may have been sound, but from that distance, I couldn't hear anything, as o- at, at, anything at all as this thing was now sitting still atop the bear, straddling its body. A minute later, the cub reappeared at, his, at a distance. I saw the creature wave its arms, and moments later the cub scurried into the brush and was out of sight for good. I continued to watch the scene for almost another 30 minutes. The strange creature tossed the bear's head back and forth in its two hands. Now, I don't know how tall a bear is from the ground to the top of its back, but I'd have to say that judging by the brief period when I had seen it running, The creature was at least three times as tall as the bear was high. So, let's say the bear was three feet tall. This creature was nine or ten feet tall. It was immense. Its arms almost looked to be as long as the bear's total body length. I had to be looking at a Bigfoot. And this Bigfoot had just charged and killed a black bear. I watched the creature for about another 15 minutes, but time was not on my side. As awesome as this was, I had to complete my return hike before it got dark, and I was already wondering if I could make it back in time. Before I left, I snapped a few photos with my camera, but I must admit that I didn't have any great hopes for the development of the pictures given the distance. Nevertheless, I took a few and hoped for the best. Eventually, I got up and left, knowing that I'd really have to step up the pace on the return leg to make it back, and thankfully, I was up to the task. When I made it back to Thornton Gap, I stopped by the ranger station. I had stopped in there to say hello before I began my hike and told them my plans for the day. You always want to let others know where you are and what you plan to do just in case something should happen. I told the rangers what had transpired, and they were dumbfounded. One of them told me he had seen something a few years ago. But he stopped talking before elaborating on just what what exactly something was. At this time, I had asked Rob to elaborate as much as possible on any details about the Bigfoot that he could recollect. This is what he said. As I mentioned before, this thing covered a large amount of real estate rapidly. Now, I know I'm just throwing numbers at you. I have no way of actually knowing or calculating them properly. The creature looked like it was running, say, 40 miles per hour across this tract of land. It also looked like the bear was taken completely by surprise, which also indicated a very fast run. All that the bear had time to do was shift off of the carcass and turn, and then it was hit and hit hard. The impact reminded me of, get this, Kev, Ronnie Lott plugging a run (laughs) on the football field. Number 40. Yeah, I mean, that guy used to just go like a missile. I mean, it was whammo and lights out. Just think about it for a moment. The thought of any man being there and performing such an act is utterly ludicrous. This creature did not hesitate for a split second. He didn't run up to the bear and stop to size up his attack. It was a brutally effective running kill. Unbelievable. I could clearly distinguish between the bear and the the Bigfoot the entire scuffle. The Bigfoot was reddish dark brown and the bear was black. So there was no difficulty at all in telling the positions of the two beasts. In other words, who was moving and who was not. I wish I could have stayed to see whether the Bigfoot would drag off the bear's carcass or the deer's, but I was out of time. When I had arrived back home, I developed a film and had a couple of the prints enlarged, and as I suspected, it was a wasted effort. Even when enlarged, you could only see a small, dark spot where the two creatures were. But for me, that was good enough to preserve the memory, since I knew what the small, dark spot representing. What do you think of that, Kev? Yeah, that's amazing. A little brutal, too. Ripping that bear apart. Jeez. Just a, a kill shot from long distance. Yeah. And he said this thing lingered around the body like it was sitting there, like, you know, who knows, breathing or enjoying its effort, or I I don't know what it was doing, just sitting on top of this thing. He said it looked to him like it was flipping the bear's head back and forth between its hands.
1: Just a vicious attack.
0: Yeah, like playing with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And how about the cub sneaking back into the frame, and then this thing must have went like, ah! It, It ran off into the
1: bushes, you know? Yeah, well, I'm sure the cub's looking for its parent, you know? Yeah, like, what do I do? What do I do? Yeah, Unbelievable, brutal.
0: brutal. It is brutal, but that's the nature of the wild, right? Things Absolutely. happen. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Uh, creatures come and go. The I circle remem- of life, even with uh, a Bigfoot in the circle.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I was in the park one day, uh, Kinequat, uh fly fishing, and I came up to this big tree, and I saw like three or four little tiny squirrels climbing around the trunk of the tree. And I was like, what the heck are these little squirrels doing? And then I looked around a little bit. The mother was laying on the ground dead. Ah. So these guys were now on their own, and they were like, you know, three inches long or something. Right. And, of course, what are you going to do? I just let it be, I mean, like you said, the circle of no, life, you know. Can't do anything. Yeah. Nothing. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know. So uh, that's interesting, though.
1: Interesting, yeah.
0: interesting account. Long distance via binoculars.
1: I can't imagine being there hiking in Virginia there on Shenandoah and uh, seeing, looking through your binoculars, right? Like, so cool. You're seeing a bear and a bear cub feasting on something, but then having this creature come in and, like, slam into a bear and kill it. Like, oh, my God.
0: Yeah, and, you know, again— these things are around like everywhere. You know, who knows how many are actually there, but according to this guy, at least one. And if there's one, you got to believe there's more than
1: oh, one. More than one. So they're not here in my house though, right, Bill, when you say they're everywhere? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. How
0: about in the woods across the street from my house? Maybe possibly? Possibly? Mm. You know, down by the shore, waiting for somebody to come off the beach at dusk. Or maybe they're in the water. Swimming. <laughs> you know, catching a couple of fish for dinner. Right. Hey. You know, I mean, this is the way it goes. You got big feet. You don't need flippers. They can probably swim pretty good.
1: Well, <laughs> nighttime body surfing. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> Just catching a wave. That's a great account, Bill. And uh, let's do some great listener mail. Again, a lot of the mail we got this week and last week, which thank you, everyone. So many uh, notes of uh, uh, condolence uh, to Bill on the loss of his wife. Uh, We'll touch on a couple of those here. Um, But thank you so much again, everyone uh, writing in. So... This one comes in from Eddie and Eddie writes, hey, I listened to the latest episode last evening and I am sad, very sad to learn of Paul passing. You've been on my mind, Bill. And when uh, a week or two went by without any episode dropping, I feel I feared the worst. Um, he says maybe something to add another smile. I told you in my last Note that I hiked the Cathedral Spires Trail last year. What I failed to share with you was that I took your advice. Uh, 45 caliber ACP 230 grain <laughs> full metal jacket on board for the hike. <laughs> Maybe not more gun than I thought I'd need, but I think it would still leave a mark. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All the best,
0: Eddie. Uh, thanks a lot, Eddie, man. It yeah, means a lot to me. It's good. It's good stuff. And uh, as I'm hearing Kevin reading them, I already have tears in my eyes. So, Yeah.
1: You and then me. We, got, we got a corny uh, dad joke that came in from Diane, which I'm going to read it because it's still kind of fun, uh, but it's definitely in the dad joke category. And she says, Hi, Kevin and WJ. I heard this joke and immediately thought of you, Kevin. Especially because you love to say "Yeah, we," <laughs> which of course refers to the Australian Bigfoot. Yeah. So the joke uh, is, what is a werewolf's favorite green, like salad green?
0: Uh, a werewolf's favorite salad green, man. I don't know. Arugula. <laughs> bit like a Rougarou, actually. Yeah, I would say it would have been I, better off what's a Rougarou's favorite salad I green. I might have got you. that one.
1: I agree, Diane. We're gonna we're gonna modify that to be what's a Rougarou. A shape shifting rougarou's favorite green is a Rougala. Yeah we that was a bad oh, joke, Diane. She says, I love the show and wait impatiently for it every week. I often laughed out laugh out loud listening to you guys. Well I'm glad <laughs> We bring a smile to your face at least <laughs> once a week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And our last email comes in from Lynn from Washington State. Uh-huh. Um, she says, Hi, W.J. and K.J., I've been binging your shows for the last month, and I'm about to run out and getting a little shaky, worrying about what I'm going to have to find to listen to next. Um, <coughs> she says, I listen mostly when I'm here at work. Uh, at night by myself, or as I fall asleep, or when I'm doing home chores on Sundays. There was also a recent road trip to Reading to rescue some dogs, and I was able to introduce you guys to an animal rescue colleague. So we appreciate that, Lynn. Spread the word. (laughs) Oh, my Um, goodness. She says, I think Bill's books are probably next on my listening list. Uh, she says, I survived law school listening to Art Bell in the late 90s, know all about Mel's Hole, um, which is in eastern Washington, and had to turn the lights on a few times to be able to get to sleep after listening to Father Malachi Martin late night. Uh, Malachi Martin. Malachi, sorry. It's all right. And uh, she says, I suspect W.J.'s books on ex- exorcism will do the same, forcing me to keep the light on. I'm happy to offer myself up as your Pacific Northwest pronunciation correspondent. Great. Just what we need, Bill. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't ask me about Willamette because I'm still, uh, I'm, I still don't apparently say that one correctly. I think I'm saying it correctly, but I don't know. Someone will write in to tell me. I can definitely help with Okanagan and Sequim and all the rest, but probably still couldn't disabuse W.J. of how he says Oregon because he takes (laughs) so much pleasure in it. I live in Bremerton, Washington, which is a Navy town. Think C-17s flying overhead or jets headed to nearby Whidbey Island. So I love that. (coughs) I love that area, by the way, Lynn. Um, Whidbey Island, San Juan Islands, Friday Harbor, Oh, my goodness. When I lived out there, I loved it and uh, actually had a customer, a couple of customers way back when that were on Whidbey Island. And I would love taking the ferry over there and seeing the the virtual air show that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, uh, the military air traffic here immediately after 9-11 was especially unsettling. We're settled between Seattle to the east via ferry then the gateway to the Olympic National Forest to the west. I grew up every year camping in Sol, Duke. I don't know how to pronounce that one area. Just outside of Port Angeles. Would love to hear any stories from that area as the 12-mile road through the forest to get there at night is the creepiest of creep. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, My paralegal has actually tried to get to Dry Bed Lakes what's what's also referred to as Lake Fear on the latest season of Expedition Bigfoot. you remember yep. that, Bill? Yep, yep. Which isn't far from another place. We used to also camp a lot when I was a kid at Browns Creek, both only a few hours from here. Stories about there would also be great, which is near on the, oh, geez, Skokomish. I don't know that one. I've never had my own experience, and I'm not yet a true believer, but love the possibility of any of it being true, and until, unless then, I'm at least along for the ride and being entertained. Anything is better than the news, right? KJ and I must be about the same age, because based on his musical references, and because Davy and Goliath... That's also one of my favorites. Davy? Awesome. Well, I don't know, Davy. <laughs> the Lord knows, Davy. <laughs> and she she ends it by saying... Wait a second, Kev. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> remember that song? How do
1: you remember that song?
0: That's right. <laughs> yep. Davy? I think that was put on by the United Methodist Church or something, that you're show, Lutheran wasn't it? Lutheran
1: Church rings a bell. I don't know. But yeah, that yeah. is the song, Bill. Uh-huh. And Lynn, that was one of my favorite shows. How pitiful is that? Like, so. Uh, uh, but we definitely share that. And she says, as only a lawyer can say, be sure and carry more legal pads than you think you're going to need.
0: <laughs> now, two things I'd like to say to her. Uh, first of all, uh, I think that's a skomish. Oh, okay. Uh, And that, I believe, is the area where they got that body cast of what's purported to be a Bigfoot laying down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, And uh, that was an interesting cast, you know, and I saw uh, some people gathering around it one day and discussing what they believed to be going on there. But the other thing I'd like to recommend to uh, Lynn... Is on that highway that she says gives it a creeps, she ought to invest in like a GoPro or something, mm-hmm. mount it to her car, and make a regular trek periodically of driving segments of that road slowly at night and see if she picks up something crossing
1: the street. She probably wants to bring something more than a legal pad, though, right? Like the 45 with full metal jacket? Maybe.
0: <laughs> Take that, Bigfoot. ba doom.
1: <laughs> or if you bring a legal pad, at least get a good sketch.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just sit down and do an artist interpretation of Say, what you're looking at.
1: Can you at. Uh, stay still a little bit? Let me see the left side. Left side?
0: <laughs> As he caves in your windshield.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All oh, right, believe. Bill. Great
1: podcast. Uh... Good chatting with you as usual. Thank you folks for listening and uh, write in, keep writing in, giving us some ideas and giving us some more details of anything that you've seen, Uh, especially, you know, maybe if you uh, grew up in Iowa and you knew of the Van Meter visitor that we talked about in our last podcast.
0: Yeah, that was crazy. And I'm sure somebody will uh, correct us, Kevin, a pronunciation of uh, Snakomish or Skomish or whatever. <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> and to them I say, Eh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and anyways, folks, if you should find yourself wandering around the Allegheny Trail, remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.